You're listening to the Sojourn Church New Albany Sermon Series, Come Home, Full Life in a Whole Church. In this series, we see that those who come to Christ find new life in a new family. We'll learn why the church exists, what it does, and how each of us is a valuable part. Now let's hear the word of the Lord. Jesus returned to the Sea of Galilee and climbed a hill and sat down. A vast crowd brought to him people who were lame, blind, crippled, those who couldn't speak, and many others. They laid them before Jesus, and he healed them all. The crowd was amazed. Those who hadn't been able to speak were talking. The crippled were made well. The lame were walking, and the blind could see again and they praised the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples and told them, I feel sorry for these people. They have been here with me for three days, and they have nothing left to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry, or they will faint along the way. The disciples replied, Where would we get enough food here in the wilderness for such a huge crowd? Jesus asked, How much bread do you have? They replied, seven loaves and a few small fish. So Jesus told all the people to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves and the fish, thanked God for them, and broke them into pieces. He gave them to the disciples, who distributed the food to the crowd. They all ate as much as they wanted. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven large baskets of leftover food, There were 4,000 men who were fed that day, in addition to all the women and children. Then Jesus sent the people home, and he got into a boat and crossed over the region of Magadan. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, Sojourn. Peace be with you. My name's Jonah. I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks for joining with us. Thanks for giving us some of your Sunday. Um, I know it's I know it's not true for everyone, but many of us have had quite a bit more time on our hands the last month. And I'm curious how that's working out for you. Maybe in the comfort of your own home, it's a bit easier to be honest with yourself, with no one around you. And so maybe just take a second and check in. Um, how have you handled all of this time? How does that screen, screen time reminder on your phone say you've been handling it? It seems to usually pop up right about now. lets you know how much time you've been spending on that thing. Maybe you've been distracting yourself, numbing yourself, avoiding all of the stillness. Maybe... Maybe you're feeling guilty because you don't have all of the kids' activities planned with these full, fun, instructive days. Maybe uh, maybe you've ramped up house projects and you're trying to fill every minute with something productive. Maybe you're glued to the news and you can't stop your anxious thoughts. How are you handling this disruption and then having so much time on your hands after the fact? 
Many of us can't work. We, we can't really buy stuff. And the things that we can buy, we aren't really sure if they're safe. So on the one hand, it's become very difficult for us to produce anything. And on the other, it's become really difficult to consume anything. So what are we, what are we to do? So I just want you to sit with that for a moment. In some ways, the two biggest pillars of American life, production and consumption, have for some of us been taken away altogether and I think for all of us have been throttled back quite a bit. Just take a moment and be honest with yourself. How is that going for you? How has that been? Over the past several weeks here in the Gospel of Matthew, we've noticed many interruptions in Jesus' life and his ministry. Disruptions, things not going according to plan, uh, unexpected needs arise. There have been themes of disorientation and confusion. And surprise, surprise, we see it again this week. And it's just It's amazing the timeliness of God's word in these passages that are so filled with the unexpected and how does God respond when unexpected things happen. Something familiar, if you've been with us for a while or if you've spent time in Matthew's gospel, something quite familiar happens at the beginning of today's text in verse 29. It says, Jesus returned to the Sea of Galilee and climbed a hill and sat down. Jesus has done something similar to this before. In Matthew, as with other great prophets in the Bible, um, we have seen Jesus go up to a high place to sit down and to teach. This is the posture of a teacher. This is a great tradition in the scriptures. Men of God, people of God, going up and sitting down. And this is a, a symbolic way of cluing people in to revelation from God is about to happen. This is similar to what Jesus does at the Sermon on the Mount. He goes up, he sits down and provides revelation from God. So imagine Jesus has just performed a healing miracle, which we saw last week, and now he's going back up to teach. Maybe envision a a college professor getting ready to give a big lecture. So he's got his notes out, he's adjusting his microphone. But then it said that more people showed up and more sick people in particular, not people eager to learn, but people needing to be healed. Verse 30 said that it was a vast crowd, and you can go read through it. It's pretty much all kinds of sicknesses are there, not maybe specific diseases and disorders, but all kinds of disorders and sicknesses are present, all kinds of physical brokenness. So you could look at it this way. Jesus was preparing a school of holy learning, and it got turned into a hospital of hopelessly broken. This wasn't the plan. Jesus didn't go up in the mountain in order to heal, but all of these sick people come to him, and so Jesus heals them all. And the crowds praised God for his miraculous healing. I want you to put yourself in in their shoes for a second, or maybe just an observer, maybe not one of the sick people, maybe one of the people watching. And how would you react right after that? If you saw all these healing miracles happen, or if you were over at the hospital and you saw somebody come in 
and perform all these healings. Wouldn't you be excited? Wouldn't you be filled with joy? I wonder what we would say to those people who've been healed. Go make good on it. Do something worthwhile now. Again, another one of these instances where Jesus is so strange to me. He does not do what we would expect. His response to these miracles and the healing that's happened in these people is not joy, it's not satisfaction, it's actually sorrow. Verse 32, Jesus called his disciples and told them, I feel sorry for these people. They have been here with me for three days and they have nothing left to eat. (laughs) He's not pitying them. These old poor pathetic people who needed healing. The same God that healed their bodies is now very interested in feeding their bodies. Uh, Pay attention. Jesus went up the mountain to teach. And if, if you're tuning in now, which I guess if you're listening to this, you are. It's funny, I'm standing up here in an empty room. I have no idea who's watching or not. So strange, you guys. But if you're attracted to a church like Sojourn, you probably really love Jesus the teacher. Jesus going up onto the mountain is the Jesus most of us prefer. We want that, we just want that good old-fashioned Bible knowledge. Teach us something. Give us that good divine information. We love Jesus on the hilltop. To a lesser extent, we're very interested in, we really enjoy the Jesus of miracles who does something wonderful, who performs these divine acts of power. But what do you think about the Jesus that is sad when people are hungry? What do you feel about the Jesus who puts aside his divine teaching for a moment to perform divine acts of satisfying people's physical hunger? If you can step back and look at these stories for a second, you'll see slammed back to back are stories of all of the brokenness that we face in life. Physically, we see the brokenness of people, people who can't see, who can't walk, who can't speak. We see their physical limitations, even in their hunger. And in some ways, the people represented here are kind of a summary of all of the physical struggles we face in this life between brokenness and even limitations. We also implicitly see their emotional brokenness. How might you feel if you spent a lifetime dealing with those impairments? How might you feel if the loneliness and isolation you've experienced in the last month, if that was your whole life? How might you feel with all of that anxiety, all of that loneliness, these people climbed a mountain, hoping, no certainty, just hoping to be healed. And some, it's funny and sad at the same time. We see physical brokenness, emotional brokenness, and we also see spiritual brokenness. Jesus is sad over their hunger and he instructs the disciples to feed them. This isn't funny if this is your first, you know, 
live stream service of Sojourn, or the, the first time you've come to our series in Matthew. If you flip back just a little bit in the Gospel of Matthew, you'll know that this is almost exactly what's happened already. A, a few weeks ago, Jesus was on a mountain with 5,000 men plus women and children, and they were hungry. And he said to the disciples, feed them. And they said, we don't have anything. He said, what do you have? And he did the miraculous feeding of the 5,000. You're not stuck in Groundhog Day. This is the feeding of the 4,000. This is a different story. It's been a couple of weeks since this miraculous feeding. And yet look at what the disciples say in verse 33. The disciples replied, where would we get enough food out here in the wilderness to feed such a huge crowd? Does that, I kind of wish you guys were here right now. Does that question not enrage you? Isn't it just a little bit shocking? Don't you want Jesus to flip out a little bit and say, we just did this, guys. We just did this. This, the spiritual brokenness we see here, you could if you want to put it generously or mildly, you could call it forgetfulness. I think probably more accurately is just simply doubt. Jesus just miraculously fed a crowd that was larger than this one. I would appreciate it if the disciples at least said like, hey, can you do the bread thing again? Can you make bread for us again, Lord? But the dumbfounded disciples doubt that Jesus can do again what he already did. Stunning, absolutely stunning doubt. And there's a lesson there for those of you who are drawn to the miracles, thinking the miracle would fix your faith. If God would just do something miraculous in your life, then you wouldn't have any questions. I doubt it because these disciples watched Jesus take a boy's lunch and feed probably 12 or 15,000 people. And a couple weeks later, they have no idea what to do in the same exact situation. Stunning doubt. But listen to how our Lord responds in verse 34. How much bread do you have? To put it in the vernacular, Jesus simply says, what you got, fellas? He doesn't indict them. He doesn't say, seriously. He doesn't throw their doubt in their face. Now, before we speak about what all this means, we have to consider what all this means for us, I should say. We have to consider what is this showing us about Jesus? Jesus went up on this mountain to bring revelation from God, but it's less in his words and more in his actions and what is happening. What are these interactions showing us about who God is and what he's like? How does Jesus respond when his house of holiness is turned into a hospital? He welcomes and he heals. How does he respond when his school of spirituality is turned into a soup kitchen? He retools and he becomes a soup kitchen. How does he respond when his inner circle remains clueless and filled with doubt? He says, bring me what you have. Jesus is going up the mountain to reveal something to us indeed. He's revealing to us the very heart of God the next pillar of a full life in a whole church. That's what we've been talking about now for several weeks. We started and said we are a word-built house. So 
To be a true church means you're built on the authority of the revealed word of God, which is the scriptures. We are a word-built house. And second, we are a faith-built house. We come into this full life through faith in Jesus alone. And now Jesus is revealing that we are a grace-built house, which means our entrance into full life, becoming a whole church, is by grace alone. In Christ, we see that God receives us as we are and meets our needs by grace. And not just grace for our spiritual problems. He has grace for our physical problems. We see this in how he responds to the brokenness of these people who come to him with a different agenda than what it, at least we think he has coming up onto the mountain. He doesn't get upset with them. He doesn't get anxious or frustrated. But by grace, he heals their bodies. By grace, he meets their limitations and provides them with food. By grace, he welcomes the doubt of the disciples. In Christ, we see that God receives us as we are and meets our needs by grace, and not just our spiritual problems, but all we are. God healed the physically broken, not because they had earned it or deserved it, but because he loved them. God then fed them, not because they earned it or deserved it, or apparently even because they asked for it, but because he cared for them. And Jesus was patient with his doubting disciples, all because he is a God of grace. He gives out of an abundance of his generosity. He gives out of an abundance of his love for us. He gives because he cares for us, because he's a good father. And this, again, at least at churches like ours and in people who come to churches like ours, this is by far the most resisted, most difficult doctrine of the Christian faith. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. I would argue is by far the most difficult and most functionally resisted belief. Maybe not with your words, maybe not with your journaling, but with your life. The doctrine of salvation by grace alone is the most difficult and most resisted. And superficially, doesn't that seem like such good news? It can be confusing. Why would we resist good news like that? He heals and feeds and receives these people, not because of their efforts or merits, but because he loves them, because of his grace. This is why we sing songs like, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Why is this so difficult? Well, think back to the questions we started with this morning. Why has staying in your home been so difficult for you? I've yet to hear someone say, this has been great. All this space, all this time. Why has it been so hard? Certainly there are financial implications that can make it very difficult. And certainly there are people that we miss. I just think God is trying to show us something in the reality that for, I think, most of us, not working has been so difficult. To sit at home, to learn to slow down, to be still for a while. For the majority of us, our ability to produce and consume has been taken from us. 
We cannot work, and we can hardly buy anything. And again, the things we can buy, many of us are afraid of them. So much of our life in this town, in this country, is built on what we do and what we own. In all of this, the buying, the owning, the producing is a way of avoiding one of the hardest questions in life, which is who am I? Who am I when I cannot produce? It's a fine thing to sing, nothing in my hands I bring, but it is utterly terrifying to approach Jesus and bring nothing. It's a terrifying thing to bring Jesus a day without productivity, without accomplishment. A day where we cannot hold up a shiny new thing that we earned and give it to him. And that could be something like your incredible devotional life that is now changed because you're figuring out how to provide e-learning for your children at home. a day where you perfectly execute all of your plans. When we have nothing that we can bring to him that we're used to, our production and our consumption, it often will result in late nights where we wrestle with the question, how do I know what God thinks of me? When all of our production, when all of our consumption is stripped away, we look in the mirror and we see it's not just the people on this hillside that are broken physically and emotionally. One of the dangerous things about production and consumption is we can start placing our identity there. Who am I? Well, look at all I've done. Look at all that I have. When all of that is stripped away and we look in the mirror, we see it's not just the disciples who doubt and forget the provision of God. No, we are them too. We are the physically broken, the emotionally broken, the spiritually broken. And, and I mean we. So listen, a few weeks ago, I stood right here and I shared with joy in my heart how we as a church raised $31,000 to send out to our church's missionaries. I shared how while we were raising that money to bless our church planters, that God provided us with $31,000 in grant money to transform the corner of our property here at Slate Run and Eakin into a neighborhood park. And if you find yourself in a car, you should take a look. I don't know if you can do that. You can still drive in a car, right? You can drive around. I don't know. Listen to the CDC. I don't know. I'm a preacher. The point is, we were standing here, I was standing here, and I shared what felt like God's miraculous provision. We raised an amount of money to give away, and local organizations gave us a couple hundred dollars difference between what we had raised. And I said, doesn't this make you so confident that God will provide for us? Doesn't this make you so confident that God will show up? Doesn't it make you want to give more and join the mission more? And as a church, we applauded, and we were so thankful. And now, here I am in an empty auditorium, a few weeks later, worried about budgets and what the future holds. Sure, God made bread for 5,000 last week, but here I am with 4,000 people this week. God showed up then, but surely he's not going to show up now. 
Don't you see? We are the broken. We are the needy. We are the doubting. And these weeks of the isolation, of the time on our hands, these weeks can be such an opportunity for us to really experience what it means to be saved by grace. One of the great opportunities this pestilence has brought with it is for the church to wrestle with what it means to be saved by grace alone, to stay home as a spiritual discipline, a conscious choice to lay down our productivity and look hard at our brokenness. Because if you're willing to look there, if you're willing to sit with that long enough, there you can begin to learn what it means to be saved by grace. It's not the depths and the consistency of your faith. It's not the wonderful works we do to support this church or this neighborhood as a church. It's not our diligence at work or at home. It's not our incredible skill and productivity as parents. We are given full life. We become a whole church by grace alone. And if you see your brokenness clearly, if you see your need and you allow it to push you towards Jesus, do you know what he'll say to you in that place? Maybe you need to revisit what he said to these people in this story. If you can see your brokenness and come to Jesus with nothing, you'll hear him say, I'm so sorry you're in this place. I'm so sorry this is how it's gone for you. What do you have? What do you need? And most of all, you will hear him telling you over and over and over about how much he loves you. The delight that he takes in you, that you are his and you belong, not because you are worthy, but because he is good and he loves you. What's being revealed to us here is the heart of God. It is the theme of all of the scriptures. Jesus heals and then he feeds, healing and feeding. It seems that in the drama of scripture, the healing of bodies and the feeding of bodies, healing and feeding go hand in hand over and over, healing our brokenness and nourishing our bodies. He's restoring us, all that we are, body, mind, and soul. I mean, one of the profound things this story tells us is man does not live on bread alone, but he does live on bread at least. We do have these basic needs, and even in these small, ordinary needs, Jesus cares about them because he cares about us. Maybe that next time you feel the itch to do something, to do more, the restlessness, receive that as an opportunity to ask God for grace and to believe his grace is sufficient. See the stillness as a time, yes, to confess you are saved by grace, which many of us are good at, but the stillness now is an opportunity to learn to live by grace. To be a grace-built house means we accept our brokenness, but we reject the belief that being broken keeps us from God. We reject the temptation to do more, to please God, and instead, we receive his pleasure in Christ. We remember his great and ultimate healing and feeding miracle that he gave his body to pay for our rebellion, to wipe away our sin and throw it into the sea. He gave his blood 
to seal our relationship with God. So we come to be healed and to feed off of Christ. In communion, we receive the promise that all we are matters to God and all we are will be made new again by grace. So I invite you to receive communion this morning. Whatever you have, whatever's in front of you, whatever you've prepared to eat and to drink, receive it as an invitation to rest in the grace of God, to receive again the promise that you are loved because you are his and receive this grace of time over the coming weeks as an invitation to experience the grace of God. You have nothing left to prove and no one to impress because you belong to God. So we rest in this promise by remembering the night Jesus was betrayed. He took a loaf of bread, he blessed it and thanked God for it, and then he broke it. And looking at his disciples, he said, this is my body, which is for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the meal was over, he took a cup of wine and he said, this is my blood shed for you, which seals your relationship with God. Drink this in remembrance of me. So I invite you, wherever you are, take a picture of your family. Uh, You can post it on our Facebook page. We're using the hashtag still here. Let's flood each other's timelines. Let's flood each other's, um, our social media with this reminder that we are still here that we are God's people, that we can't be physically together. We are together in spirit, that the family of God cannot be broken by mere circumstances. And let's receive the miraculous feeding of God that restores all we are, not because we've earned it, not because of how well we've done these past few weeks, but because God is good and he loves us. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. Keep in touch with Sojourn New Albany on Facebook or download the free Sojourn Collective app for iPhone or Android, where you can see our full library of sermon series audio and video, discussion questions, event calendar, ministries, and much more.